everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average. Plus, it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome to Made by Women, a new podcast by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. At a moment when businesses face some of the biggest challenges in recent history, we bring you inspiring stories, practical insights, and shared learnings to help you successfully navigate in today's environment. Every Thursday, Made by Women will showcase the experiences of legendary women entrepreneurs fierce up-and-comers, and everyday women who found success their own way. Consider this your real-world MBA, designed for the new now. I'm Kim Azzarelli, and thanks so much for joining us today. Some successful entrepreneurs always knew what they wanted to do. They had a business plan. They carefully plotted steps to get the necessary experience. And when they were ready, they took the leap. Then there are other entrepreneurs who have launched wildly successful companies, but took surprising routes to get there. Some founders never imagined they'd even start a business, but they had a passion. And when a door opened or a great idea sparked, they acted on it. May Shi, who founded and built Chesapeake Bay Candle into a multi-million dollar global enterprise and who now runs Yes She May, is one of those unexpected entrepreneurs. May grew up in China and was trained as a diplomat with aspirations of a career in the foreign service. She immigrated to the U.S., and while living in New York, she would window shop at Bloomingdale's. That's when an idea started to spark about how she might freshen up the home industry. I had a fascinating conversation with May Shi about her career path, her passion for beautiful home decor, and how she's now using her platform to help other women business owners. Enjoy my interview with the incredible May Shi. May, thanks so much for joining us. We are thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for having me. 
We have so much to talk about today, given that you really are a successful serial entrepreneur who now is also helping other entrepreneurs make their way. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and when you found that you had this entrepreneurial spirit? I was born and raised in China in a city called Hangzhou. It's a city about two hours of driving distance in the south of uh, Shanghai. Uh, most people now know it as the hometown of Alibaba, so the largest uh, e-commerce uh, giant in China. But it's also one of those cities that is very historical. So I grew up there with a lot of uh, influences of Chinese culture. But what's really interesting was that um, I was able to enroll into a foreign language school when I turned 12 and ready to uh, start my middle school life. Um, that time in 1979, China quickly realized that um, for two decades, it was completely close to the world. And it really wanted to uh, educate some diplomats. And they understand it would be too late to start language learning at uh, only university level. So they started having eight middle schools around the country that will be emerging foreign language education, which, as you know, is actually a very good way to learn foreign yeah. language, which means half the day a student will learn in its mother language and the other half day it will learn in a foreign language. So it was a very interesting time for China. I felt like growing up in two China, the one that was completely off to the world and the one that was blossoming. Uh, in the early 1980s, when everything was uh, more optimistic. So after six years, I went on to finish my diplomatic training in Beijing uh, uh, at the Foreign Language uh, University. But most of my four years was actually spent working to translate for uh, what would be the first effort by the World Bank to start engaging in China in the infrastructure uh, development. And it was a fun time for me because rather than staying in school, I uh, got to travel in China, uh, some of which are very, you know, far away areas that I would never have been to myself. So I got a taste of uh, what it means to work in a global environment. And that experience also gave me a good taste of um, what it what it would be for me to sort of learn quickly a subject matter, um, which proven to be very helpful in the future, is the ability to understand the subject matter well enough so that when I translate, I could really understand the context and make connections that otherwise would be very difficult for the local community. So that was fun. And I thought I would be working for the World Bank until I graduated in 1989. I'm sure you remembered what happened in June of 1999 yes. on yeah, Tiananmen Square. What most Americans don't realize is not what happened then, it's what happened after. The graduating year was actually finished school in July. And rather than being able to find jobs that we already uh, interviewed for and stay in the big cities, I was sent along with many of the same uh, year to father away warehouses, factories, farms, so that we are away from cities and we're going to get re-educated for a year. Wow. 
So I was sent in August to work in a warehouse um, away from a city in northern China. And the warehouse work really is about looking after minerals that would be exported to other countries. I was given a clipboard and I just give a check when the trucks come. And I would spend the whole day in the warehouse with my uh, supervisor, who's a guy that chain smoke and would not even speak to me in Chinese, let alone any mm. other language. And I work six days a week and without many opportunities to wow. really practice my English. So at the end of the first month, I decided to quit because I knew as a foreign language student, if you don't practice speaking or listening, uh, you will lose that capability pretty soon. So I made a pretty tough choice, which is to decide to end my potential career in diplomatic service and start finding jobs back in Beijing on my own. So that's my background. Um, wow. There's nothing wow. very entrepreneurial so far. Actually, there's a little bit of a preview to what, what happens next. So what brought you to the U.S.? So when I resigned from the diplomatic service and uh, went back on my own to Beijing, I basically said goodbye to my professional career in China. At that time, for a foreign language student, there were opportunities to be a private tutor for English or you know, working as a day translator with tourist groups. So I did the first one, which is tutoring uh, a group of uh, hotel managers that are um, friendship hotels in China, which has uh, the license to accept foreigners to uh, stay in the hotel and they need to speak English. So I was helping them to improve their English while getting started with my search for a graduate study in the U.S. I knew that with the situation I was probably not going to be get much further along the way with my career. So that's how I ended up coming to the U.S., more specifically coming to the Maryland area. University of Maryland has a great mass communication program. I'm interested in that particular area because I saw the gap between the World Bank project and the local communities. Whenever we want to invest, communities don't really understand why someone insist that they need a latrine when they want a hand pump or vice versa. <laughs> and I feel the diffusion of in innovation and the diffusion of ideas is really very urgent uh, for international organizations such as the World Bank. Right. So that was my goal, as well as the fact that it's very close to Washington, D.C. and uh, the World Bank is uh, headquartered in D.C. So I was planning to finish that uh, background and continually with my work uh, for the for the bank, basically. So how did you go from that to founding a very large company, a very successful company? Um, what was the pivot? And um, did you feel somewhere inside you that you had entrepreneurship in you? I never thought so. Um, the word entrepreneurship is really a big word now, but it's really about uh, a sense of uh, starting something afresh. Um, at that time, I was, again, uh, put back into uh, ground zero because um, it was in 1992 that I graduated with a master's um, in journalism. And remember, 1992 was when we actually had a war with uh, Iraq. Yep. 
And United States is the biggest donor to the funding of the World Bank. And when there was a war and we have a recession, the funding was stopped. And because of that, the hiring also stopped. And if you recall, 1992 was actually one of those jobless recoveries after the recession. So that's how I found myself in New York. Many people have heard about my experience in New York as one of the most、um, uninspiring jobs. Pushing papers for a medical <laughs> equipment company, which made me so bored during the day. But the one thing the company did right was to put me in a small hotel next to Bloomingdale's. <laughs> Not just any Bloomingdale's, but the flagship Bloomingdale's. Yeah, I know、and、it well. And for me, <laughs> you know it well. You know it's like a bird、uh, free out of the cage. <laughs> I've always loved beautiful things. I've always loved fashion, and being able to, you know, put yourself in that location means you can go window shopping every single night after work. And that was when I realized, with my journalistic training and my ability to pick up those、uh, trends, that I noticed the difference between the second floor of Bloomingdale, which usually has the most edgy and new、uh, designers on display, and you. Keep walking up, and each floor gets more and more boring until the top floor is the home floor. And I just <laughs> would not understand because it looked like you entered into your grandmother's、uh, home, you know, with very Laura Ashley kind of repetitive、um, wall print kind of floral pattern. Yeah. And then all the furnitures are very ornate with a little bit gilded finish. <laughs> and I started talking a lot、uh, with my then husband David. He was a engineer at that time, working in Washington D.C. And we talk every night. And he said, "You are so bored, and you seem to have some idea. What do you think you want to do after you complain about the home being、um, missing something and the fashion is so inspiring?" And that's when we decided, after almost a year of my commuting between D.C. and New York, that I would quit, and he would quit. Wow! And we would do something in the home industry to bring a freshness and some kind of contemporary design elements into home. Amazing! And that was、um, the pivot, basically. It's such an incredible story, and so you start this business, and obviously a lot of hard work,、um, and then you have this incredible success. Can you tell us、um, the early days of that business and how you built it? Well, that's a that's the fun part. I think once you started to see that gap, you know, you started to see there's a definite void, and you want to fill that void. You you went into action, and in my case. Um, I just decided to go back to my friends, who remember they're mostly trained to be foreign diplomats, but we certainly don't need that many diplomats in the world.、Um, <laughs> instead, they were one of the first to work in the then state-owned foreign trade companies in China.、Mm-hmm. When I say state-owned, that means as a country, you know, in the beginning when they opened up, a lot of those trade. Uh, were done and controlled by the government, and they need professional、uh, English speakers to really understand the language and the culture and the negotiation and the terms. So a lot of my friends end up working, and they gave me a lot of ideas. You know, someone would send me silk trees, you know, those fake trees, and say this is selling very well in Europe. And someone else would say, why don't you、uh, do fashion? You know, you're such a fashionable person. 
But we always came back to um, home. We wanted to do something in the home area. And in 1994, um, we started late in September, but we decided that the best place is to go to a trade show and showcase all the samples that we feel has a potential. So we have some fake trees. We have some musical dolls that actually uh, is very decorative. It's not so much a toy. And we have some glow candles, a product that I never really understood at that time, but thought it was cool. It has a shape of a ball and it has beautiful, colorful patterns around it like a stainless steel glass. And we just brought all these products and we put everything on the table. And the smallest item is those glow candles. But even before the end of the day that we started, we knew that's going to be the item we focus on. Wow. Because we, we wrote so many orders for it that there's no, nothing else that could come even close. Remember, it was in September and it was for holiday. So we quickly ship, and from there, you know, I started to really focus on our own design, and no one wants to work with me in China because our orders are so small with so many demands, they decided that's not worth their time. So that's when we, you know, really have our first um, moment of despair because imagine if you have orders, but no one wants to ship your orders because it's too small. That's one of the things that I heard a lot of my uh, female founders talk yeah. about, right? I was going to say the, the same whole thing. Idea. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the way we work, obviously, is to, to work on design or better quality. But yeah. um, to accomplish that, you need manufacturing support. Right. So that's my first lesson learned. But never mind, we went back to the trade show in New York, which is a much bigger show the next year. And that's when our business tanked. Compared with September, we have very few orders. And that's when I realized that we were right on the product category, which is candle, but we were not right on the fact that it's too seasonal. It's a Christmas item that after the holiday, there's no business. Mm-hmm. What is a good business, on the other hand, is fragrance candle, because then you burn them and it gives you such a pleasure that you keep using them. It becomes a consumable. Right. But no one's making those candles in China. No one has ever wondered how to put fragrance there. And that's where I think I made the biggest connection and the biggest sort of um, investment, which is to bring fragrances that I worked with vendors in the U.S. back to China and teach them how to make fragrance candles from my own learning. Once again, nobody wants to do it because they say, we we couldn't even quote you. How much would that cost? Because the whole idea of bring something back and make them um, by hand and then ship it to the, the, the same country, <laughs> you know, sounds very <laughs> high risk. <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the second time that I got, uh, you know, crushed by vendors. Right. But this time, someone amazing come to my rescue, someone that is very near and dear to me, my own sister. And she quit her job as a computer engineer, and she and her um, husband started to uh, set up a little factory to help us. And that is the year in 1995 that Chesapeake Bay Candle was born to pay tribute to where I was living at that time. So just to just take you back for a moment, you said so many incredible things that I think so many women entrepreneurs face, you know, as you mentioned, sort of that difficulty getting 
manufacturing support when you have uh, a small batch of orders, having to convince others that you see something that they're not seeing yet and why it's worth doing. What have you been able to use for your own internal strength when when you hit these very tough times? Because everybody hits them. Well, I think don't give up. I know it's easy to say. Um, I think anything really worth it sometimes uh, does not come easily, right? Because Imagine if it's an easy solution, everyone would have that and everyone will have access to make that work. I asked probably five or six people. Some of them are candle vendors. Some of them are just um, very hungry for new business in China. And trust me, they're very hungry for business all the time. And they wouldn't even, they even wouldn't consider it. Incredible. For them, the idea of doing something that is um, unheard of uh, bringing product back from the U.S. and then ship them back again. That just doesn't sound like a very uh, attractive business proposal. <laughs> so they didn't allow themselves to be even curious and grounded. I, I think it's also because I'm talking to a bunch of traders, right? I'm not mm-hmm. really talking uh, to people that is consumer expert or really understand American consumers. And that's where I also say, I really have the opportunity that no one have, which is I was living here. I was able to understand the pain point and where the market is really hungry for, uh, what the market is hungry for. Uh, and that's the kind of thing that I see tremendous opportunities for women. I do. So you start the company or you start Chesapeake Bay Candles in 1995, obviously, those uh, early manufacturers were wrong and you were right. I was right. <laughs> and was right. it becomes a huge success. And we were successful from day one. Even the first uh, four months in 1994, when we when we were in a very small business with the glow candles, we were hitting $500,000 in prop- with profit. And ever since then, the business is, in, I mean, very um, profitable. So this is a this is a sign that sometimes um, you know when you see something and it looks difficult, try to make it work just once to see if the financials adds up, if the cost adds up, if the trouble adds up. Uh, a lot of those uh, assumptions they're just assumptions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nobody ever actually did it to say it's not going to work. So sometimes I just dare people to try it and say if you actually tried it and then you say it's not working, I I I, I would give up. Don't assume everything just because no one else did it. That's incredible advice. So you build this incredibly successful company, so successful, you end up deciding to sell the company a few years back. Um, well, how did you know it was time to, to do that? Um, and then maybe I'll ask you what you're doing now. Um, before I sell the company, I must say there was one thing I did that is incredibly satisfying to me is to bring the opportunity back to manufacturer in Maryland. Hmm. Um, I saw the opportunity in another um, big recession, 2008 and 2009, when the labor cost in Asia has gotten very expensive. And my customers really uh, can't carry a lot of inventory and they demand very flexible uh, shipping schedule. You know, exactly like what happens now, right? Uh, right. Some categories of products flying off the shelf and some is not moving. So they want a manufacturing partner or a brand that really can uh, being in, in a good position to be flexible and be able to react. So that's when I decided to move uh, some of the opportunities back and set up a manufacturing. And I said, um, it doesn't make sense to 
set up a factory in Texas or anywhere else because it's called Chesapeake Bay. Let's move it back. It took me a long time and probably six million dollars in order to set it up. It was a big pain, and not not one person on my own team trusted this is going to work because the cost is much higher, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to talk about this manufacturing thing because it it also really focuses on what I want to say here is that what happened later is that the manufacturing here allowed me to have best possible. Quality raw material. Wax、mm-hmm. quality is much better here. I have access to soil bean wax, which is new at that time, and together with better quality control,、uh, with machine-based、um, manufacturing versus labor-intensive manufacturing, all of a sudden it allowed me to be a lot closer to innovation. I, I, I can't tell you how important innovation is in any consumer product. But it particularly so when you rely on manufacturing in、um, a machine environment. So、mm-hmm. when the design team in, in in my Maryland office and my factory can work together, they design much more、um, intelligently, and the design take on a very different quality. So in the end, the collections are much better, and the the, the sell throughs in stores are much higher, and the brand started to really take off. So your instinct was right again. <laughs> I was I was right, but it was taking a long time. It was taking three years, and we were we were basically taking what was a profitable business、uh, in an overseas factory back, and it was a double、uh, sword for us in terms of loss. But three years later, I think not only did we get everything back in in terms of profit, we were really able to grow because our reaction time. Cut from nine weeks to、uh, no more than two, right? So、mm-hmm. imagine that for seasonal product such、yeah. as pumpkin spice and Christmas tree fragrance, you can't beat that response time. But I didn't sell the business because I I think the the value has come up. I was found to have stage one breast cancer. Wow! In two thousand sixteen, that is pretty aggressive, even though it's stage one, and I need、um, surgery and.、Uh, Almost six months of chemotherapy. Oh goodness!、Um, running both a factory and a company was pretty daunting,、yeah. and、um, the the doctors was not clear if、uh, I they found、um, some some cancer in my lymph nodes as well after the、uh, surgery, and it was at that time that、uh, it's very clear to me that、um, I have to have Plan B. So that was how everything got、um, moved. Wow! While I was also doing treatment. Wow, that's. But I don't、simple. regret. I think it was a good、um, sort of solution for that particular challenge.、Um, I hope that、uh, the brand, which is now、uh, along with Yankee Candle and Woodwick, will continually grow and become、uh, one of those brands that American love. It's something that is very joyful to watch. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm a big fan, <laughs> and I was going to say that pumpkin spice and Christmas tree. I'm using it,、um, but I also wanted to say that you know sometimes things happen in kind of the most unusual ways, and it kind of brings me to what you're doing now. So, could we talk a little bit about COVID and and what has prompted you to start、uh, Yes She May? Absolutely. You know, so 2017 in September, we made the transaction, and I agreed to stay on for one more year. To help with the transition into a very large company, 
And after that, I stepped down and I wanted to take a break. Um, I probably did that for less than two weeks because um, I'm a very uh, busy person. And uh, <laughs> if I don't work, then I started to annoy my family. And um, <laughs> all of them basically asked me to, to do something. And that's when I also was offered to talk a lot about, um, particularly to women, about how to grow business, you know, how to start a business or how to grow a business. And I started to lo- focus on the, the gap of what women want, you know, and what they are doing. I noticed that women actually start more business than men, but they're, they're very small. Most of women's business is less than $250,000, but they're... Um, about only 3% of women's business ever reach a million. Mm-hmm. So right. what does that mean? Right. They usually can't even afford to hire anyone or they usually really can't afford to look beyond the daily needs. Um, so I started to really ask myself, what do I have or what did I have when I was growing the business that women don't? And I quickly summarized three. The access to capital has always been the biggest problem But because um, I was successful pretty early on, I found out how to use SBA, the Small Business Administration's loan guarantee to borrow money from the bank. Right. And once I started doing business, right, with the bigger companies such as uh, the Bed Bath & Beyond, the Bloomingdale's, with their invoice, you can also get some financing. So I find a way to do financing pretty early on. And I have gotten access to market, which is another challenge for women. I have uh, grown my business to be in the Bloomingdale's, which I was so proud of when I, you know, was <laughs> seeing the product there for the first time. I then Come you know, full promoted circle. <laughs> and I was able to get into. Exactly, exactly. Um, I went to Nordstrom's. I went to Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, Target, Kohl's. And these are huge market access. Most women can't even go to one of them because they they are just not big enough or noticeable to those big guys. The third thing, which I think is the probably the most important thing, is remember the manufacturing, right? I was really uh, in contact and in charge of that part of the logistics supply that um, not many women have access to. Therefore, it's very hard for them to control the quality and the pricing and the kind of innovation that they want to deliver. So I wanted to focus on these three things in my support of them. And I was giving a lot of uh, connections to women that needs uh, investors. You know, now there are more and more uh, female um, related uh, venture fund. Uh, I was also trying to introduce some women to some of my uh, previous customers, um, because a lot of them uh, are also looking for great ideas and great partners. Um, Those retailers that are in a position to spend a little bit more time with smaller vendors. But then come the, um, you know, then came the pandemic. It was probably in March that um, I started to receive feedbacks that uh, a lot of their, the the women's um, customers are mom and pop stores. Right. They are Main Street American retailers. And as soon as the shutdown started, their business was completely shut down. So a lot of my uh, women vendors were getting calls to 
um, for canceling of orders from their customers or please delay my shipment. Uh, so this is what I heard the most is that they completely dried up uh, any access to consumers. Some of them do have retail um, on their own website, but when you are one brand and you just started, uh, it's very hard to attract a, a huge consumer audience. So I said to myself, what can I do? Um, one of the things I can do is to see if there is enough interest to really provide what I would consider an ecosystem where we can find consumers that can become supporters of women's business. And that's how Yes, You May started. Oh, it's amazing. It's an amazing concept. It's an amazing time to be doing this. And it's coming from a place where you have so much experience that you could connect women entrepreneurs to these three critical critical paths. You also know how to connect them to manufacturing, to sort of different elements of the business. Is there one thing that you might advise women entrepreneurs who are facing a lot of difficulty right now um, in the middle of COVID? Uh, one thing I feel that from my own past experience is uh, to not look at this opportunity as a challenge, rather look at it as a great time to launch some new things. It's very understandable to be worried and very understandable about this sort of period of time where everything is disrupted. What I would say is that I see a lot of opportunity. I see opportunities to con connect with consumers that are what I considered thoughtful consumers. Uh, there is definitely a trend of thoughtful spending where consumers understand they can use their purse to buy from people they truly want to support. And that is good for women's business. Yes. Um, so connect with them, find them, uh, tell your story, bring your product to them. They are looking for you. And that's why I feel we're doing that on our platform as well, is to promote this thoughtfulness about uh, who we partner with, about the way they produce products so it's more sustainable about the way they pay a fair wage to those they employee and about the kind of um, value those women uh, support. Well, May, it is so amazing to hear from you. Uh, we know you've been right many times before, so I think uh, anybody listening should really take, take this advice to heart. Um, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> thank you. I want to thank May for a wonderful conversation and for so many lessons on following your instincts and taking calculated risks. A few things really stuck with me. First, I love that May calls the early days of her business, quote, the fun part. This truly embodies what drives so many entrepreneurs to focus on the idea, to make a product that fills the gap, and to create work you're proud of. Second, as May says, when times are tough, don't give up. This is something we hear often from entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship certainly is not for the faint-hearted. You have to learn to embrace the journey and that it's not always going to be easy. Lastly, focus on opportunities. As May shares, it's very understandable to be worried, especially during this difficult time. But now is an important time to keep an open mind and be open to fresh opportunities that may arise in this unusual time. New ways to reach consumers, new ways to pivot your business new ways to connect with people you might not otherwise have access to. And this is an especially important time to network with and to support other women-owned businesses. 
make sure to check out May's latest project, Yes She May. You can visit yesshemay.com to shop from women-owned companies in beauty, fashion, home decor, and wellness. And if you use the code Seneca on any Yes She May purchase, you'll receive a free holographic tote bag while supplies last. Join us next week for another episode of Made by Women. Have a great week. Made by Women is brought to you by the Seneca Women Podcast Network and iHeartRadio with support from founding partner P&G. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.